Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but this is the 100th episode of the Nomadic Outdoorsman. Unfortunately, because I've been so busy and traveling and doing so many recordings, I didn't even know when I recorded this that it was the 100th episode. So it wasn't until after, now that I'm doing like intros and outros and stuff, just a little sneak peek into the world of a podcaster. Um, I, ju- I just now realized that this is episode 100. So I'm going to have to celebrate somehow. We'll do like a giveaway on social media. Um, I just need to come up with a lot of cool gear to to give to our listeners. So let me think on that. It's going to happen. I'm pumped about it. So keep an eye out for it. But on the show today, I've got Brandon Ward. Now, Brandon is a recent transplant to Iowa. He's hunted places like Pike County, Illinois. He followed his dad around as a young kid hunting all over the country and all over the world. And so this guy is 100% sold out outdoorsman. I mean, he is all about it. And we get into a lot of cool conversation here. I find out that he doesn't even really shed hunt his property in Iowa. And so that might be something that I'm going to go up and do here in the near future. Anyways, let's jump into this one. It's going to be awesome. Here we go. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys. So I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Brandon Ward. Dude, thanks for hopping on the show with me. Absolutely, man. I'm excited. Um, So from everything I know about you, which isn't a ton at this point, but you're just kind of an all-around killer. Like you, you make it happen. You've done lots of different hunts, and you just moved to Iowa, which is like yeah. deer hunting mecca. So... Uh, why don't you fill in the listeners a little more about who you are, what you do, and then we're going to dive into some crazy stories, and uh, I want to know more about that monster that you have hanging behind your head right now. Uh, yeah, so my name is Brandon Ward. Um, I originally grew up in New York, um, and I basically just followed my dad everywhere as a youth. Um, he was in the hunting industry a little bit, uh, kind of got in with some companies. Uh, but his main thing was just, um, he was in law enforcement and his vacation was spent on hunts. His vacation, he was a deer hunter. Um, so I followed along with him for a long time. Uh, and then I got fortunate enough to be on a lot of youth hunts and some, I was out Missouri, uh, like we spoke earlier. Um, I've killed some, a lot of stuff in Ohio as a good youth program. Missouri's good. Um, Montana, I was a youth still, uh, killed a mule deer out there. Um, you know, he really, really did a good job at pushing me as a youth, not pushing me hard, but making the hunting exciting. And I guess if you want to get into it, I think that is where some people kind of fall short with kids is they make it either a really bad experience early or they find like some of these guys 
they're pushing really hard to kill big bucks as young kids. Yeah. I'll admit my dad was not that way with me. My dad was killing giants and he was letting me shoot a basket rack. Yep. He made me a, like you said, I, I was a killer young. I did not care what it was when I was young. Um, and I really think that made a big difference because I know some kids who parents didn't let them do that and they don't have the drive that I do now chasing big bucks because they were just forced to sit there and watch these deer and they didn't get the experiences um, that I did. I learned a lot, even shooting young deer and does and shooting jakes when I was a youth as turkeys. And, um, but, uh, then I started going on the hunts with him as a hunter. Um, at 17, I joined the Marines. Um, and my big thing there was I really, really missed hunting. I didn't realize how much I would miss it. Um, the big thing I remember in boot camp, my dad sending me pictures of him and all my buddies in a line holding long beards on one of our farms. <laughs> and I was just like, man, like, this is where I'm at. This is where you guys are at, you know? Yep. Um, so I really made it a priority while I was in the Marines that my time off was spent, spent hunting. Um, and that was a big push for me to get out of the military too, with how much I missed, how much I missed it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine being, um, in a job or a career or whatever that would keep me from hunting. I, in fact, <laughs> I've maybe, uh, ill-advisedly, told bosses like hey if my job ever keeps me from hunting i will find a new job and they're like yeah yeah, yeah but your hunting schedule is not our priority as a company so um <laughs> i yeah i just i couldn't give it up and the whole like fear of missing out on things or like seeing pictures of other people doing it and you're just like dang it man i can't do it like that would yeah. eat me alive i would go into a deep dark depression if that was my life <laughs> And then, like, the other part of it is I was stationed in North Carolina, and this is going to ruffle people up, but North Car people who hunt in North Carolina, they call 100-pound deer a big deer. It, and you've never been out to the Midwest. You've seen those corn-fed five-, six-, seven-year-old bucks. You don't just, like, some of my labs that I've had in my life are bigger than some of the deer that I've seen in <laughs> North Carolina to where it really, man, like, I miss these deer, you know? Um, yeah. So that was a big thing, too. Dude, seeing different body sizes of deer is kind of a shock. Like down in Texas, watching these, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, there's a couple big does and a bunch of yearlings, and they're running across the road. And I'm like, I don't see a single big deer out of the bunch. And then yeah. when this past fall, we had some guys from Tennessee up to Wisconsin on a waterfowl hunt, and we were driving around scouting fields midday to see where we wanted to hunt that night. And... They're like, holy crap, dude, look at the size of those deer. And I'm like, those are one-year-old deer, man. And he's like, are you kidding yeah. me? They look like they're 500 pounds compared to ours. And I'm like, yeah, when when you get out east or even farther south, deer can get small in a hurry. And oh yeah, when you see, yeah, true corn and bean-fed deer, it's they look like cattle in comparison to some oh, of the, yeah. some of the hotter states. Yeah. And that's a big thing with, I guess you want to go into the guiding thing. Um, we have to do an orientation and we, we do have an antler inches restriction, but a big thing we talk about, because a lot of guys are coming from Florida, Georgia, just non big body buck state. Yeah. Um, is these guys will see a deer on the hoof walking around and they're like, and that was a giant and it's not, or, they're so nervous that they overcorrect for it and they let a 150 inch deer walk and they go back and some guy killed a 140 and they're like, man, the deer I saw today was bigger than that. Yeah. I just was nervous. That's a big thing we've noticed is guys get nervous because they're so used to the deer that they're seeing in their home state. Yeah. I guess I, I wouldn't have thought about it being the other way around, but yeah, to overcompensate for your fear or like not wanting to shoot the wrong buck and so you let yeah. giants pass, that would be, yeah. that'd be, I can't imagine how bad I would kick myself if I let a 160 inch deer walk because I'm like, oh, that's too small for around here. I feel like no yeah. matter where I you are in the country, that's a pretty, pretty good deer. 
they'll they will send me cell phone videos of them in the stand with a deer walking by saying like oh i just had a good one walk by i can't wait to see what else comes by and it's like that's the deer i just told you about in the truck and then they really start to themselves <laughs> oh my gosh dude that makes me yeah. sick just thinking about it yeah so what what got you into guiding i mean obviously you had a passion for hunting uh, where was the change where you were like, man, I want to help other people get on big animals? So I guess it kind of goes back to when I was hunting. I always thought that was like the coolest job. You know, I was just like, man, these guys get to hunt. Like they hunt every day, which is kind of a lie because you're not hunting every day. Um, but I just always thought, you know, that was such a cool job. All the outfitters I met over the years, I just thought that's cool. Yeah. Um, when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, deciding back and forth, um, a job came up and I was just like, you know, I should have, I should talk to them. And if I decide to get out, I get out, I can go do this by staying, I stay in and the timing worked out. I got out in August, so last week of August and showed up there September 1st and just rolled on. So. Nice. But what uh what is what has that been like going from being a hunter for yourself to a guide? Obviously, like you said, the timing and people thinking, Oh, I can hunt as much as I want. I thought that as a as a young guy thinking about being a game warden. I was like, dude, I love the outdoors, I love hunting and fishing, like that would be awesome. And then I've heard, No, that's the worst job you can have if you love that stuff because you're never gonna get to do it for yourself. Now it's all dependent on the area that you hunt, the amount of um, fishing game officers that they have in that area. You know, like you can still get off and hunt. You could still probably have your yeah. weekends off and everything like that. But, um, yeah, was it was it a lot different than you were expecting um, switching over? It was different. I would say the if you want a job in the hunting industry that gives you experience and teaches you a lot about whitetails and turkeys and waterfowl, but you're in, you can hunt as a waterfowl guy because you're in the blind with the guy. Yeah. Um, turkeys as well. We just finished youth season in Illinois and I was with the hunters the entire time. Every, I did everything but pull the trigger. Um, but deer hunts, I'm telling you where to go. I'm showing you where the deer are, getting you to your stand. And then I'm waiting to pick you up. Um, and that's really it. It was pretty hard for me the first year because I was in Pike County, Illinois. You know, I've been there before. Everyone talks about Pike County. Um, I have all these trail camera pictures of giant deer. I've got farms that I've never even dreamed that I'd be able to be on. And then I can't go hunt it. And part of the problem with outfitting is you don't get to pick your clients. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of good hunters who come. But there are also a lot of guys who come, especially with COVID. We had a lot of people who it was their first year ever hunting. They said, I want to pick this up as a hobby. Um, um, and that was good and bad. We had yeah. a lot of guys who were very into it, willing to learn. And a lot of guys who were brand new and who weren't willing to listen. Um, but yeah, on the hunting side of things for me, I hunted maybe three or four days last year. Um, Dang. Yeah. I, um, I also, I will say last year I got a new dog. So a bunch, couple of my days off, um, were spent waterfowl hunting. Yeah. Um, but two years ago I got lucky. My first day off, I killed a doe. And the second day I ended up killing my buck. It was on the day before Halloween. And then Halloween morning, I killed my buck. Nice. So the pressure was off season one. Um, that I didn't really notice because I didn't need to go out anymore, you know? Um, but this year I ran a lot more hunters and I didn't get, I didn't get out basically any. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely, if you want to be able to hunt, stay out of the hunt industry unless you <laughs> are on TV. Yeah. I, uh, I've noticed that luckily with podcasting, I'm like, okay, at least I need, I need to come up with stories for podcasting yeah. and make connections. And so I've been able to hunt a lot. I have heard that though, with, with guides, like 
unless you're a waterfowl guide, I mean, you just anything big game, you're you might be doing the hunt with them if you're doing spot and stock stuff. With whitetail right. hunting, I feel like that is the worst type of guiding industry to get into if you want to continue to hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Cuz cuz with that, like you said, you don't even get like for most whitetail hunts, you don't even get the you don't even get to experience the whole hunt minus the trigger pull. You just don't do most of it. You put them in a stand, you put them in the right spot. Whereas like, uh, Texas, Texas guiding, you're actually walking around hunting with the person. Um, and then they're just the only one pulling the trigger. I've, I could see how it's fun to do both, but I definitely could not guide at the expense of my own hunting ability. I, um, I will say another part of it is, and this could be just a personal thing. There's a lot of frustration that comes into play too. Um, you've got to, you get big deer that are patterned and you get, you get some guy who goes in there and thinks he knows everything and ruins it and bumps the deer, spooks the deer is eating, smoking, you know, he's doing everything wrong. He's getting out of the sand early and that's frustrating to me because it's like, man, I could go, and this is not me being cocky, but it's, I could go in there and kill that deer. Yeah. And he had the opportunity to, and he ruined it. Yep. Yeah. So that, that is a frustration for sure. What, uh, what does that look like when you take somebody out there? I mean, I've heard, I've heard very, kind of lax techniques and strategies for putting a person on a deer. And then I've heard like the super extreme stuff where it's like, dude, you wash all your clothes and in the washing machine, that's not meant for normal clothes. I drop you off at the base of the tree on the four wheeler. You never step foot on the ground. You go straight from four wheeler to the tree pegs. Uh, what is your approach on all that? So it's really based on the hunter with how the lodge in Illinois does things. The the place in Illinois, and I, I'm not going to name names during this, but they are big on making it comfortable for them. Okay. Like what they want is what they're going to get, regardless of how I feel. Yeah. Um, if they want to get driven to the base of their stand and step out of the truck and I hand them everything at the base of the stand, that's what I'm going to do. I recommend to the guys, we sneak in there based on the wind as far off as we can or slide in on the four wheelers or play different ways, but it's really based on what they want. And that's where the orientation comes into play of, I get a feel for them. Some guys, and this kind of blew me away. A lot of people have a very, very, very strict, what they want in tree stands, what they will and what they won't sit in. Hmm. Um, that was something I never noticed until guiding was people are die hard lock on stands. You're going to fall on them. You know, yeah. I can put the best millennium lock ons in the world. Nope. Those things are trash. I'm going to fall out of them. Some guys say I'm not sitting in a ground blind. I can't see anything. And the deer don't think that's natural. Some guys say the ladder stands stick too far out from the tree. The deer are going to catch me the second they walk perpendicular to me. Everyone's got their opinions everyone has their opinion that's yeah that's just like a welcome to the hunting world type of thing everybody thinks their way is the way and i that drives me crazy man like as soon as somebody says like dude if you want to kill a big buck you have to blank i'm just like dude i'm not listening to this guy like yeah there is one million different ways to kill big deer and yeah, absolutely. you might be the guy that only does, I mean, who does crazy scent control, like absolutely everything you chew gum that smells like dopey just to cover, you know, like you can get super yeah. extreme with it. Or there's guys that are big buck killers that have, you know, 20 plus Boone and Crockett entries and they hunt in whatever clothes they just got done working in and they hunt public land yeah. close to the parking lot. Like there is so many different ways to do it. And it really depends on what the property is that you're hunting and what kind of pressure it's had in the past. Like I'm a That's firm, key. I'm a firm believer in heavy pressure. 
I get out there, I get in the woods all the time. I just do because mm-hmm. I said I'm not going to sacrifice all of my hunting, all of my other hunting opportunities just for maybe a chance at a bigger buck because I love being in the woods and my passion for whitetail hunting, <clears throat> although archery hunting whitetail is my number one passion, I'm not willing to give up, you know, my ability to rabbit and squirrel and coyote and turkey and dove and duck and goose. You know, if I had to, yeah. if I had to pick a 10 inch bigger deer or being able to do all of those things also, I'm going to pick all of those things also. So, um, yeah. and I know that's not for everybody. There's people who have hunting properties that are just for whitetail and that's awesome. I wish I had that, Yeah. but in the, in the position I'm in, in the different hobbies and passions that I have, I just can't, can't give all that up. Um, now that you're in Iowa, what have, what have you noticed? Because Iowa, I mean, people talk about it as, you know, the, the whitetail capital of the world and there is amazing whitetail deer hunting there. I was fortunate to grow up in Wisconsin that also had amazing whitetail deer, but I haven't spent a lot of time in Iowa. So what is, what is that like? So my, I guess I'll bring it back a little bit. I, I hunted in Missouri actually for a couple of years and that outfitter got too big. His quality went down and his quantity went up, which is a big thing with outfitters. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of on the look for a new Midwest spot. Uh, we went to Montana on a mule deer hunt, and our guide actually is the owner of the property that I'm on now. Um, oh, nice. So I, me and my dad both got lucky in that first year. We both drew, on our first try, late season muzzleloader tags for Iowa. So we came out here. I mean, this is when I was still a youth. No, this is my first year not a youth, I think. And we both killed first day, 130 and like 150 inch deer. First day, same power blind, late season food, done and done. And I mean, it was just something I've never seen before. Um, And then years, just years following, um, I mean, the neighbor here, he won't pick his binoculars up to 150 inch deer. He won't, I mean, doesn't even, <laughs> doesn't even hesitate. Is happy to not shoot a deer. That's not that. He's like, eh, whatever. I would love but that that's problem. Yeah. <laughs> deer hunting is definitely different here. It's not giant. At least where I'm at, it's not giant, giant chunks of wood. It's small pieces, hills, and big pieces of food. And you you leave them alone in the woods, let them come out to eat, you're going to kill them, and you're going to see a lot of deer. Um, that's another thing. Not only are there bigger bucks here than a lot of places I've noticed, there's a lot of deer here. So, um, yeah, I just, I haven't found anywhere that's better than here. There, I mean, there's giant skills everywhere. There's Giants killed in Georgia. There's giants in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Kansas is huge now. But Iowa, I just think it's constantly booner after booner after booner. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just. I feel like I feel like Iowa is probably really close to the top of the list, if it's not at the top, for states that take deer management seriously. Because I think they take everything seriously their their turkey tags are a lottery system preference points they're and they're proud of it too it's like 200 bucks for a non-resident tag jeez dude yeah. i don't pay that but much I, money for a non-resident deer tag in wisconsin that's crazy yeah they're definitely proud of what they have here but i also think it's a a pushback against people to say if you want to hunt here you're going to pay for it and that pushes people away yeah. No, I, yeah. I could see that. I mean, trying to, trying to pay a bunch of money for any out of state tag is always a risk. And then when you're yeah. talking whitetail, I feel like, I feel like it gets even more risky. Like if you're going to go somewhere and kill a good, a good representation of that species, whether it's mule deer, 
um, elk, whitetail. When you get into mature whitetails, they're some of the hardest animals to kill. If I, I feel like if you're comfortable with the area, if you're familiar with the property, your odds go way up, obviously. But if you're talking like coming in from a different place, having no clue about it, that's got to be one of the hardest animals to kill. A mature whitetail on Absolutely. ground you don't know. Yeah. Ducks, ducks and geese, you find the water, you have a good chance of killing birds. Turkeys, you go on a piece of public one morning, they either are goblin there or they're not. Yep. They go up to roost, they're gobbler or not. You move on to the next piece. With whitetail, you have to spend time, and that's what people don't have is time. Yep. Yeah, free range, free range whitetail. I I've always been interested in hunting places like Kansas or Iowa because I do see all of that food. And then as yeah. far as cover goes, I mean, yeah, they can be in the corn, but like if you can find water or a creek bottom or any type of like lowland area that has mature trees in Kansas or Iowa, you're gonna see deer. I feel like. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you said you leave them alone in the woods. Uh, I mean, how many, what, what kind of, uh, wooded properties are we talking about? Are you saying like just a couple acres or just like fence rows that have woods on them? Well, I can actually, I'll, I'll show you what the backyard looks like. And this is actually a pretty decent representation of kind of what we hunt. And we do hunt behind here. Um, and we've killed some really big deer just behind just, the house here. Just drop me a pin real quick. Also, if you don't mind. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know how well this is going to come. So, oh, yeah. Like, these, these, it's not thick woods. I mean, with leaves and everything, it does become more thick. But it's really just one strip that just runs all the way through. So, I mean, during the rut, and there's a giant creek that runs right here. So, basically, during the rut, you sit in the middle of this. They're running in between you. And there's yeah. nowhere else for them to go. Um, this is all food. This is all becomes food here. That's food and that's food. I mean, there's food surrounding woods everywhere you go. So basically you just have like super concentrated funnels for deer. Whereas you might find yeah. funnels in other places like where I hunt in Wisconsin. You use the topography or like the elevation changes as good funnels, but it's all woods. Like, I mean, I'm primarily just hunting in woods there's hardly any openings down there it seems like the funnels are a lot easier to pick out and and know where to sit yeah i i would definitely say if you didn't know how to hunt the rut here it'd be pretty easy to get get good at it because you've only got so many options and yeah <laughs> whatever tree you pick you've got a good chance yeah but what uh what kind of deer numbers are you seeing per acre there have you done any have you done any studies on that or, or try to figure out what the populations are on the properties you hunt? I, I have not. Um, I think this is kind of where people change their opinions. So the owner here is pretty old school. Um, he's kind of that, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And the more we mess with these deer, the more things can change. Yeah. So like back here, a lot of guys have asked, you know, should we, do like the hinge cuts, the, the TSS, the burns, let's make more cover, let's do this, this, and this. Yes, that might help a little bit, but we kill a 150-inch deer plus every year out of the ground I just showed you behind the house with us living in this house. Yeah. So there are, concentration-wise, I would say this is very high concentration for deer numbers. Um. I'm sure probably a lot of people would say it's probably a little too high on the doe numbers. There are a lot of does here. Um, but we don't kill a lot of does here. We will on our giant, giant food plots. Um, that's where we'll kill our does. But around here, we really don't. See, there's a, there's a ton of talk, and I mean, I bought into it, about bringing the buck-to-doe ratio into check. You want as close to a one-to-one -one as you can. That's going to increase yeah. um, the responsiveness during the rut to calling the activity. They've obviously got to compete a lot more. 
But I find that a lot of these states and a lot of the counties that have really high Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young buck numbers have a crazy amount of does also. Yeah. And, I mean, the more deer you get, I don't know. I don't know if it's the more deer you get, you're just going to end up with plenty of big ones. But I just see all over, even Buffalo County. I was I was up there recently, and I was talking to the guys there, and they're like, dude, we have so many does in comparison to bucks. But they kill giant bucks every year. And so. Yeah. I, I guess I can see both ways. You know, the jury, they kill like five or six a day during late season. So. Yeah. And I can see how it works, but I also kind of go on your theory of more babies that are born, more chances of a booner being born. Yeah. Support those deer. If you did, if you left the amount of deer like this alone in, I don't know, a non-ag state, you would run disease very high for sure. Oh, yeah. And not nutrition high deer for sure. But if you have the food, I don't see a problem with having the deer. Yeah. Do you um do you use or do you have a lot of oaks there? Like do you ever get to hunt them over acorns? There are a lot of acorns here and Illinois I mean it was insane last year the production of acorns. Um it seemed like people were just tripping over them. Yeah. Um we had one tree uh, biologist or whatever you want to call him. He came as a hunter last year and he said that this will be one of the best years ever. Nice. I, I've always wanted to hunt a state like that where you have great crops, you know, they've got plenty of access to corn and beans or wheat or whatever it is. Uh, and then you get that one patch of oak trees where they have a good acorn harvest and seeing deer and even though they have as much nutrition and as much food as they want, when they get like that treat that they're not used to, or they only get at a certain point in the year, watching them go crazy over it. I saw it at a neighbor's house. And I mean, we had plenty of, plenty of food there also. And there was oaks everywhere that they could go and pick from underneath. But one of my neighbors here in Missouri, they, they had a mowed yard, but they left all of their oak trees up. They got rid of every other tree. So all they had was a full yard of mature oaks, and they kept the grass cut all the time. The amount of deer yeah. that would show up there, because they don't have to dig, they don't have to really forage. It's just a giant buffet of green grass yeah. and and fresh uh, acorns. Dude, I saw some of the biggest deer during deer season driving home from hunting just right at my neighbor's house. And it drove me yeah, crazy. Yeah, that suburban hunting was a crazy thing. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, like, we were still kind of out in the country, and that was the problem. Like, I could hunt on the property I lived on. It was 20 acres. But I just knew if there's a good acorn harvest this year, like, they're not going to be in the woods with me at all. They're literally going to yeah. bed down in the neighbors and just eat all day and all night. So, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of the problem with the acorns was they were everywhere to where they weren't concentrated enough. It was, where are they going to eat the acorns today, you know? Yeah. So that was a little hard. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. 
are you doing any food plots there or is there so much food that you don't even really mess with it a whole lot? So in Illinois, we'll do food plots. A lot of it we do is clover. Um, I kind of fall into jury's thoughts of clover is king. I just think you get the most bang for your buck with it and longevity and regrowth and jerky season. Um, But um, here, the farmers take care of it for us. I mean, we don't have to plant analogic anything. It's what these farmers are putting out is what these deer are eating, and that's why they get so big. Yeah. Um, yeah, right now I'm in turkey mode. Uh, we just had our two weeks of turkey season, two weeks of youth turkey season. Um, and now come Sunday, I'll guide basically until June 1st. Dang, that's awesome. Yeah. I... I've been giving my guests a lot more opportunity lately to convert me into a turkey hunter because <laughs> I am just like, eh, sure, it's fun. Yeah. Um, but I am, I'm looking forward to it. Ours opens up the 18th and then it goes until okay. um, May 8th. And so I'll yeah. get out. I'm hoping to kill two birds this year. I've never doubled up on turkeys. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just not sold. It's always the things that have the most hype behind them. I'm like, they better be, they better blow my expectations out of the water. Otherwise I'm going to be annoyed by it. And that's what Turkey has been so far. It's been fun. Yeah. There's definitely, I'd say by halfway through the season, I'm not out there anymore for fun. I'm out there because these birds annoyed me so much and frustrated (laughs) me that I'm out there to kill them out of frustration now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, we're in Turkey mode now, um, between Iowa and Illinois, I'll guide. And then I just run through state hunting. So, yeah. Um, I could see, I could see it being fun getting out there all the time, but what, yeah. what is it like having the pressure of, in a sense, being responsible for someone else's success while hunting? You know, during deer season, when I first started, I that really, really affected me of, man, these guys didn't kill a deer. And, but then like two years ago, we had 70 degree weather in October. So, it's, but, and the other guys are like, man, you know, like you had nothing to do with that. Yeah. So that, that kind of slowed it down for me of kind of taking it away from my personal feelings of it. With turkey, though, I take it more serious on the personal level because, I mean, like the bird we killed this weekend, I did everything but pull the trigger on that bird. Yeah. The only thing the kid did was shoot. And that was that was asking a lot of them. Yeah. So he basically sat there and slept until I woke him up. Um, <laughs> Dude, can you come do that for me here? I'll just, I'll just go I have, past I'd that. I'd be happy to. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, with turkeys, I take it a little more serious on the success side of things because they're watching me hunt, call, make decisions. With deer, it might kind of sound bad to say, but you don't know if you're walking into a good stand or not as the hunter. Yeah. The big, big thing with outfitters, and I would say this for your, for your fans who are listening, be very, very, very cautious booking with outfitters you you want to find an outfitter in my opinion who's new because new outfitters don't care who you are all they want to do is boost their name and boost their success numbers the best way to find a good outfitter is word of mouth yeah don't waste your time driving to shows in my in my opinion everybody can pull a big gear mount and throw it behind them I know several outfitters who don't use their gear at deer shows. Dang. Yeah. I also know certain outfitters in Pike County, Illinois, that have high fence deer on their brochures for free range hunts. Jeez, man. I feel like that gets into some serious false advertising lawsuits right there. Absolutely. Deer outfitters. And I've heard it's way worse with elk outfitters because I guess just everybody can become, I mean, anybody can technically become a white tail guy, 
but I've just heard you can just pay 10 grand and not see an elk, not see a sign of elk, not hear an elk. And you don't know. Yeah. You don't know until you get um, But with deer, I just really warn people, try and find somebody who your friends have gone to. If you do, make sure you're asking the right questions. You want recent photos with dates on them. Ask for other hunters who have been there last year. Ask for several of them. And if you notice the same guy is on the camp on their website every year, and that's the number they give you, don't call him. He's obviously having a good time there. Ask for somebody different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I feel like the, the new guys are would always be gung-ho and trying to prove themselves and trying to you know, make the experience. And it's just like with any job after a while, the flair kind of goes away or you just kind of get lost in it. The everyday deal. I I've got a buddy here that he does. Well, actually even Texas, I was talking to those guys. They do helicopter hog hunts. One of the most exciting things a human being can do like flying around in a helicopter and shooting at live animals was amazing. And for them, it was the same thing. After a while, it's just kind of like, eh. Yeah, we. I enjoy doing it. You show up at 1 o'clock and you leave at 4. All right, thanks for your business. Yeah, I mean, they loved, they still love guiding, which is cool, and, like, getting people up there. Brandon is a crazy pilot, and you can hear the passion in his voice when he's telling you over the, over the um, headphones. Like, dude, they're coming up here on the left. Hold on, I'm going to push them out of the brush. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. But as far as them actually hunting themselves, they're like, we do it because we have to. Like, we have to kill these pigs. There are so many of them. But they're like, yeah, I mean, after you do a certain amount of flights in the helicopter and kill pigs, it's just not as exciting because you're used to it. It's familiar. And the the things that you've never done before are always more exciting than the familiar stuff. And so I was that that's a foreign concept to me, thinking that, flying in a helicopter and killing animals could ever be boring. Doesn't make sense, but, um, I understand. And it's gotta be the same thing with guiding. You just, there's probably a point where, yeah, it might still be exciting and you might have fun with it, but it's definitely not a passion that you had like when you first started. Yeah. I, you know, for a while, especially during the rut time frame, we're running six days a week and that seventh day is just, when that group's leaving in the morning and the next group is coming in the afternoon. Yeah. So that sixth day, you're kind of like, do I really want to wake up again at four? Be to go sit out in the cold when I just did it for six days before. It's, it really, it does kind of push your passion down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's interesting, man. I, I guess you would have to find something that you truly, truly enjoyed outside of guiding to keep that, to keep that going. What does that look like for you as far as like your own personal hunts now? What, what are the things that you're most excited about getting out to do? Well, I've really enjoyed working with my dog that I got. Um, So the big training with him and waterfowl hunting with him has been big. And that kind of gave me, something different because in new york um we can hunt from september 1st for geese for those resident geese and then here in iowa now um i didn't realize it but next year we'll for sure be hunting them is all the snows and specs is very late season yeah um so that's one thing um you know it's really just not if you want to hunt don't be a guide. You know, it, it, it really is. I mean, there are a lot of guys who get to hunt. Um, but a lot of guys are retired people who this is just something they do to entertain them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I guess to go back real quick on the outfitter search, if you call an outfitter and he's not excited to talk to you, and if he makes it feel like you're bothering him, which will happen. Don't go. If they're not willing to talk to you, they're not worth your time. Yeah. It, yeah. 
there's a lot of guys who are like, man, I've got four guys coming this week. Yeah, they pay your bills, man. Like, <laughs> be, be grateful that you have these guys coming to you. And, and I, I just think the opinion of an outfitter, especially when you talk to him on the phone, everyone's going to be happy to talk at the show because that's face-to-face. Yeah. But if you call and ask questions, they better be nice to you and give you the answers and the time that you want. Yeah, I feel like <clears throat> for people to be friendly and and be upfront with you, like, hey man, there's a chance that you're not going to kill. I've always I've always been kind of wary of the guys who are, oh dude, it's like 99 percent chance, or like, oh I'm yeah. I'm like, dude, nothing in the outdoor industry is that is that high. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. I've talked to people who have have waterfowl hunted Arkansas for years and the flight is always good. And it's just like, dude, we get so many birds, like hundreds and hundreds of snows on the return flight. And last year it was just kind of dead. A bunch of people had yeah. really off years and it's like, see, no matter what, no matter how consistent it could be 10 years of straight, awesome hunting, you could have some weird deal that, that throws it all off. So, um, yeah, to find somebody who, one is upbeat and doesn't just sound like you're inconveniencing them by giving them your business. And then also, uh, yeah, that's realistic. I haven't, I haven't gotten to deal aside from like personal relationships. I haven't had like the, the client, um, guide relationship with many people because I just haven't done a lot of guided stuff, but yeah. Um, so far, anybody that I have, I've done one deep sea fishing, one helicopter hog hunt, and I've got another fishing trip coming up in Wisconsin. I'm trying to think. I don't think I've had anything other than those three, but everybody's been pretty cool so far. I haven't had a negative experience. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a game. It's it really is, and it's it's luck too. Yeah. Um. Best, best advice is get word of mouth, not from a show. Yeah. What uh, What's that buck on the wall behind you? Is that one of yours or is that a client's? Uh, no, this is actually um, a recreate of a deer that was killed here uh, the year that this house was built. So that would have been six or seven years ago. Okay. Um, but he just, he just breaks 200. Dude, what a freak, man. Um, and then I wish I had pictures or the deer here. The kid actually just picked it up. Um, we had a we had a kid a kid uh kill a two eleven two years two years ago. <laughs> oh and man. Uh, that thing was two hundred and eleven inches with uh, with not the deductions or anything, with the gross score, however the nerds want to talk about it, but the deers rack never broke his ears it is just his main beams first off cross and it's just mass and just straight time in its face never even comes close to going outside of his ears 211 inches what the heck yeah it's it's crazy to see how deer can put on inches in different places. Like most people, you yeah. think of a two hundred and eleven inch deer, you're thinking like super wide, super tall, heavy, like it's got everything. But to hear that yeah. he shot a two hundred and eleven inch deer that didn't go outside the ears is that's nuts, man. Yeah. And I'm sure with deductions and everything it wouldn't even be close because it's very non typical, but it's a giant. But it's we've talked about it so many times. If this deer and him walked out, you would say this is the bigger deer. Oh yeah. But because he's out, he's outside of his ears, he's got that frame. Um, but this deer just adds up. He just added up. What What's your take on deductions? Because I've got a pretty strong opinion on it. Um, how How do you feel that the scoring system is? On the term of deducting inches, then that's your score that goes in the book. Yeah. I think that's <laughs> – I'm trying to get a nice way to say it. I think it's for clowns. I, <laughs> like, dude, I mean, that's what the deer is. Yeah. It's, and and 
this is my opinion and whatever. I'm not, I don't put deer in the book. Um, I score them on the tailgate after killing them and, and it's with a, with a rope or with a string and a tape measure, you know, um, for our clients, we have to do, we actually have to do Boone and Crockett scoring for them. Um, but, um, I, I think it's ridiculous. I would never tell somebody that my 170 inch deer is 150 inch deer. Yeah. I mean, why? I mean, just, I don't, I've you're taking ne- away from the deep. Exactly. I've never understood it. And people who, who go that route, I'm like, I feel like the dude who came up with that system, you know, let's say it's Boone and Crockett, right? Say Boone shoots a deer and Crockett's like, hey, we need a scoring system for this. And then the next year he shoots a deer. And Boone's like, oh, shoot, his is bigger than mine. I need to come up with reasons why it isn't bigger than mine. Like, oh, you know what? No, I've got to deduct inches for this because it's just not as perfect as mine is. I'm like, that. Yeah. that is just what the whole mentality seems like behind it. Why, why would you yeah. take away anything from the deer? Now, here's here's the only exception say your deer gets in a fight with another deer and the whole main beam or one side breaks off in your deer's face i don't think you should be able to count that towards the score other than that yeah I'd just let it go man yeah yeah what what that deer actually grew you should score it all and quit with the deduction nonsense uh i don't i don't think i've talked to anybody who is like super pro deductions now i will say I, if I was the world record holder, I might be like, yes, I want everybody to be very or judged very harshly with deductions moving forward. Other than that, dude, let it ride, man. Yeah. I mean, I could, I would say if we want to play the book game, we have a non-typical book and a typical book maybe, but, and I, I do have a large, large respect for whitetail and like, I'm not the guy, you know, cries and holds onto the deer when it's dead or anything like that. But I have a large respect for whitetails and it's not just killing for me, but it is a respect thing. Why take away what you shot that buck for a lot of people, you shot him because it is your first Pope and young deer. It's your first non-basket rack deer. It's your first booner. And then you're going to play on a calculator and take away from that. Or the side of the fact with outfitters, Someone comes up, shoots a deer, deer of a lifetime. He's biggest deer I've ever killed in my life. 150 inches gross score. Then you net him out or whatever, and he's 138. Oh, well, I have killed a 140 before. Oh, yeah. Well, no, dude, you just killed a 150. You killed a 150, you know. I think it really takes away from the hunting aspect of things, the celebratory aspect of things. For sure. Anytime you have to compare your deer to something else, to a standard, um, like there's always going to be a bigger deer out there. There's always going to be issues. I love character in deer. And I do like the idea of, you know, like the typical and non-typical thing. But when you just get into the minutia of like, oh, no, you lost an inch here. You lost five inches. You lost this. You lost that. I, I think maybe it's the optimist in me that's just like, dude, let everybody have a good time. Don't do anything that's yep. going to ruin the experience because if they look back on this and now instead of being one of the greatest moments of their life because they shot a 158 inch deer to wow, this really sucked. Your deer was only 135. Uh, yeah, that's so crappy, man. And I hate that anybody yeah. is in that mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. What uh what does this year look like for you as far as hunting opportunities go? Do you do you get to get out and travel outside of whitetail season a lot, or um, is almost all your year still still guiding something? Uh so this year I'm definitely going to be slowing down on the guiding side of things. Um, I'll be helping. I won't be doing anything whitetail wise uh, in Illinois. I'll be in Iowa 100. Um, percent And the owner of Southfield here will be here, uh, so I'll just be kind of helping him, uh, especially with when our big groups come. So um, I'll definitely have more opportunities to hunt this year, whitetail wise, um, and then waterfowl too has gotten pretty big for me with my dog. Um, yeah. 
and that's really not for the kill. That's for me spending time with my dog. Um, but with the deer, it's chasing big bugs for sure. Yeah. Have you, have you been out shed hunting a bunch? Are you a big shed hunter? You know, I'm not, and I, people should hate me for it, for the terrain that I have here in Iowa. I have found some sheds scouting for turkeys. And I've actually found a couple good ones, uh, but um, I'm not a guy who's just going to walk through the woods staring at the ground all day for weeks. I'm, I'm not. I yeah. just don't. I found, I can grab them. I found a, a, sh- a set of sheds, and I was like, oh, man, that's cool. You know, I took a picture of it, and I was over it. You know, it's not, it's, it's just not for me. I would rather walk around and look for turkeys than walk around and stare at the ground all day. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. 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 See, I've, I've got a dog. I put a deposit down on a dog and I can't wait to get it. But, um, the guy is going to train it, uh, for shed hunting, duck hunting and pheasant hunting. And I'm like, I can't wait, man. I'm super pumped. Yeah. And I think I'll really get into shed hunting once I have the dog. So far, I'm the yeah. world's worst shed hunter. Like, I suck, man. I, I've i found yeah. only a couple in my life, and most of them I've almost stepped on before I even knew they were there. And it's not like they were hidden. It's like they were plain as day, and I'm just that bad to where I didn't pick them out. Now, you put me in woods, I can tell you where every animal is, like – I'll see a field mouse moving at 450 yards. You know, I'll be driving 80 miles an hour down the highway and I'll see a deer poking its head out of the timber half a mile away. And my wife's like, how, how can you see that? That's impossible. Sheds, yeah. totally different story. I suck at it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can grab those sheds one second. Yeah, I want to see them. Right here. I, I've got a couple buddies who are super into shed hunting. And... um. Actually, one of them just got back. He goes to the Dakotas every year on a big trip. Yeah, oh, so, dude, heck yeah. I mean, definitely a good deer. Um, but, yeah, like you said, like, I basically stepped on them. Um, they were down in the bottom, and it was this side. It was really only like this was showing, this and up was showing. And yeah. then when I picked him up, I saw this. But, I mean, definitely a good deer. Um but I was just like, all right, cool. Now I got to carry these things around for the rest of my day. And then, I'm <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh man, I love it. I love hearing people with different takes on things. Cause typically when I talk to people about sheds, they're just like gung ho. And I love that it was oh, almost an inconvenience for you yeah. to have to carry around that giant set of antlers. Dude, if you ever, if you ever need someone to come and get those out of your way for you, just let me know. I'm sure I could get a couple people down there. Yeah, well, actually, the group that's coming for turkey, they're like, can we can we shed hunt if we kill? Yeah, sure. I don't care, really. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I, just let me know what you find. I was like, if you find a giant, just let me see it. I'm, that's it. How, how do you feel, though, holding those in your hands? Because I've got, like, this weird chemical connection to antlers i don't know what it is like when i hold antlers it's like that feeling you hear about people talking about like when they hold gold you know how there's like it's almost intoxicating I was very excited when i found him. yeah yeah because i've got pictures of this deer i mean he's i'll back up a little bit he's perfect i mean he's as clean as clean dead oh yeah uh, and this is like there are a lot of deer like this here just like that clean um, just like those night, I, I say they're nice looking deer. Like they're just like clean, clean bucks. Yeah. Um, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah. I definitely had the excitement. Um, that it, it almost puts you back into deer mode too. Yeah. I, I can see that as well. Yeah. That's, that's my thing. I feel like if I, if I really dove head first into any type of shed hunting, it would probably be going out out west and picking up elk antlers because i do man i get excited when i watch videos online or something scrolls uh, i'm scrolling and i find a video of a guy walking up on this giant seven point elk side i'm like dude imagine finding that in the wild seems bizarre to me Uh, to know that these antlers are just laying out here and uh even in alaska i've heard about people going out for caribou and once you get into the caribou sheds, it's like 
you can't fit it all in three pickup trucks because there's so many caribou. And I'm like, I could, yeah. that would probably get a little bit, it, that would get old a lot quicker, but I think the rarity of finding a really big deer shed or elk shed is, is a lot of the excitement behind it. Yeah. When we were in New Zealand, the fallow deer, they, they were so obvious to find. I mean, they were just everywhere. Yeah. And at first, the first few were like, oh man, I want to keep these. And you'd walk a little more and you'd find a bigger one. Oh, I want to keep this one. And then you've got a pack full of sheds. And then you start tossing the little ones because the locals don't care. They don't want them. They have no use for them. Um, yeah. And then it's the whole problem is shipping them back with you. So oh, you yeah. really, I think we picked out, we picked out the couple biggest and shipped them home with us. But yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be tough to like, just, Oh man, shipping's going to be way too much. We're only keeping a couple of these, but I get it. I mean, I do. Yeah. What, uh, it, you've hunted kind of all over the place. Is there a bucket list yeah. hunt that you haven't done that, that you're wanting to? Yeah. Ever since I was little, um, I've wanted to do an archery muskox hunt in the Arctic. Dang. I've, I've never heard someone else say they want to do it. The guys who go on it say it's miserable. Um, I just remember watching, it was that Matthews TV. It was like, Dave Watson, maybe, I think it was his name. Yeah. And he did it, and they're just, you know, just giant animals, almost like prehistoric. Like, they're not anywhere near whitetails. You know, they're just their own animals. Oh, know, totally different. Cute. Yeah. Yeah, that'd, um, be, that'd be a gnarly hunt, man. I mean, you're talking about yeah. probably, for the most part, a really plain environment that you're hunting them in i mean it's just white everywhere but yeah but the conditions dude the weather that you'd have to okay. face and some of that stuff i've watched people where it's like one second you're looking at a whole herd of muskox and the next second you can't see anything because the wind blows yeah. just right and they disappear out there yeah we were in norway for a deployment and uh, that's kind of how it was you know the weather was just it'd be clear and then you just couldn't see anything. Um, but we saw a lot of caribou and stuff out there too, and that was cool. We had moose. Uh, one time we were in the mountains just training with Norwegians, and these moose just walked up on our position, and they were just like, "Hey, uh, go get Ward. He'll think this is this is this is entertaining." And yeah. There, everyone is, and I'm just sitting there like watching these moose, trying to like mouth call, just with nothing, <laughs> just trying to mess with these moose, and everyone's looking at me like, "What is this kid doing?" That's awesome. Dude, it is funny when, when you're around a bunch of like non hunters or non outdoorsy people and you're the one. Yeah. I've had so many encounters like that. We had a we had a a hawk that flew into our uh, office building. So it was attached to the it was attached to the warehouse and somehow it got into the office portion of it. Well I'm sitting there, I'm with like the VP with my boss um, with a couple other people and we're talking about a project coming up and all of a sudden another VP like pops in the conference room and they're, they're like, there's a huge bird out here. There's a huge bird. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, come look at it. And so we all stand up. Well, I immediately walk over to the corner and I grab a box and I start emptying the stuff out of the box. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, well, if there's a giant bird in the office, I am going to catch it and take it outside. And they're like, what the heck? Right. So I do. I walked right up to this hawk, and it was on a windowsill that kind of overlooked the, the warehouse. And I walked up. I put the box over the top of it, closed the flaps, and walked out with it. I mean, the whole ordeal took me a minute, maybe. Yeah. And people are, like, cheering, and they're just in disbelief that I caught a hawk. They, yeah. thought, they thought I was the crocodile hunter, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. no, you just take care of an animal when it's an issue. But yeah, we had a uh, in North Carolina, our barracks where we stayed in the gym, we would have to walk through maybe like two acres of woods and there's a path in between and the amount of turkeys that were in those woods was insane. So we'd be walking to go to the gym and you'd see like three or four longbeards just walk right by you. Yeah. So I'd be walking to the gym with my buddies and I'd start calling to them and they'd be gobbling because they're used to people and they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, you don't get it. Like, 
this is it right here. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is this it. Is this is what it's all about. I do the same thing, man. Um, dude, I hate to cut this short, and I can't believe we're at an hour already. Uh, yeah. I've got two little kids that I've got to go pick up. And unfortunately, sometimes they have to be a priority. But before we <laughs> yeah. hop off this call, uh, where can people find you? Where where can they reach out if they want to do a hunt? Uh, where can they just follow along with you on social media? How can they get in touch? Uh, so the Illinois uh, properties is Heartland Lodge. Um, Iowa is AGR Hunting Services. Um, and then myself is just Brandon Ward. Um, and Instagram is Brandon with like, three underscores ward. Um, but yeah, I, if you had any questions on anything, I'm open to talk. So sweet, man. Well, dude, I really do appreciate you hopping on the call with me. We're going to have to do another one and I might start bumping up my time slots because an hour is just not enough time for two hunters to talk. Uh, yeah, I don't well, want to, yeah, I, I don't want to take three hours of people's day, but also I just, every time I look down at the clock, I'm like, there's no chance that I'm already at an hour. And sure enough, I am. So, uh, thanks for being on, man. I, I had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right, guys, that's it. Episode 100 is in the books. Now I think I'm going to do a giveaway. In fact, hopefully I have the giveaway already launched and you guys can be signing up by the time this episode airs. Just something to celebrate 100 episodes, and all of your guys' support has meant the world to me. I mean, the reviews and the ratings, the kind words, the messages on social media, like just reaching out and saying, hey, great job, and even connecting with people in person. Like, I bump into people in public all the time. I, it happened the other day to me. I had probably 20 different conversations with people, at the World's Fishing Fair at Bass Pro Shops where people would come up and say, hey, thanks for making good content, or hey, man, love your podcast, or they we just sit and have a conversation for half an hour. And so, like, without you guys, this podcast would be nothing. It would have gone nowhere. And the fact that I'm able to share stories from everyday outdoorsmen blows my mind. I love being able to carry that mantle. Um, all that to say, I want to get up there and hunt with Brandon. I think it would be so much fun, Not even if I don't hunt, there are monster sheds out there just waiting for the world's worst shed hunter to come up and walk right past. Hopefully not. Hopefully I would find them and pick them up. But uh, I think that'd be fun. It'd be fun to get him down on a turkey hunt too. I've put that invite out to so many people at this point. I thought for sure I'd be loaded, like completely slammed during turkey season, taking people out. Um, but so far, that's not the case. I think I've only got one guy showing up for it. And um, I'm ready though. Spring's here. Like life is finally coming back to the Ozarks, coming back to most of most of the country, and turkeys are gobbling. I'm seeing them get shot on social media all the time, and I'm heading out for a fly fishing trip in a couple days. Uh, by the time you guys hear this, I will have been done with the fly fishing trip. But I'm I'm about to be a fly fisherman, guys. Like I've got the boots and the waders and a fly rod and the cool hats and the gear, and I I don't even know what's all in these packages, but. We're going to go down to Arkansas, do some fly fishing. I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, I'm going to turn into a fly fisherman. I can just feel it. I watch the videos. I see the people in the mountain streams and the creeks catching trout, and it just seems so cool. I'm not going to be the dude who's butt hurt because you do it a different way or because you want to keep the trout instead of just let it go again. I'm going to eat some of these suckers. I'm just telling you right now. I go fishing for food and for fun, but... Some of them will get let go. Some of them are coming home with me. Anyways, hopefully you guys are getting out there. Whether it's turkey hunting, get gearing up for fishing, planning um, for your food plots and habitat improvement for the summer. Um, I'm pumped. It, it just seems like everything's taking off right now. So let's get after it. Until next time, always choose adventure and God bless. <laughs>